Welcome to Workforce Rx with Futura Health, where future-focused leaders in education, workforce development, and healthcare explore new innovations and approaches. I'm your host, Vontone Quinlevin, CEO of Futura Health. Today, we're going to zoom out and take a look at efforts to foster greater coordination and interaction between disciplines in the U.S. healthcare system. My guest is Tanya Harris, Executive Director of the Aspen Institute Health Innovators Fellowship, where she nurtures a growing community of leaders committed to finding viable solutions to our healthcare problems. Tanya has over 25 years of experience expanding access to healthcare and influencing federal and state program development. Before joining the Aspen Institute, she served as the National Director of Healthcare Operations at Planned Parenthood, amongst many other roles. Thanks so much for joining us today, Tanya. Well, thank you so much for having me, Vaughn. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Well, I would love to have our audience learn more about your background and what led to your interest in healthcare in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I often describe myself as an AIDS activist baby because my career really started when I was in college and I volunteered at Gay Men's Health Crisis. I was in New York City. When I volunteered, they put me in the sort of financial benefits program for volunteer purposes. And so they trained me up on everything that was happening in terms of benefits available to people with HIV and AIDS really at the time. Um, And I'm so glad that I decided to volunteer there and engage with them because it actually meant that I had a skill set when I graduated from college that I could use to market myself to gain employment after school. And so, you know, I took a job as a case manager uh, for people with HIV, although then it was really primarily AIDS because this was before AZT, before we had any medications. And it was a complete wake up call for me. I had grown up really middle class and just had never had the experience of like sort of how horrible and dehumanizing healthcare could be. And suddenly there I was, this like very young, very naive white woman visiting black and brown people who were estranged from their families because the disease was so stigmatized then. And they were living in subsidized housing programs where they were required to allow me to come visit with them once a week while they were dying. Um, Because pretty much everyone on my caseloads back then died. And I had just been so ignorant about how bad healthcare could be until I regularly accompanied people on Medicaid to their doctor's appointments. Everything from unethical doctors, poor safety oversight in hospitals, really poorly functioning facilities, horribly long waits and opaque processes to recertify for Medicaid. The whole experience really changed me and inspired me to go into healthcare and see if I could fix it. And that's what took me into the profession. Well, I'm glad that that volunteer experience inspired a career and uh, your impact. So I'm sure this, this whole experience of viewing healthcare on the front line up close and personal has influenced why you've chosen your current role. So give us an overview of the Aspen Institute and the Health Innovators Fellowship. Sure. I have really, you know, just by way of transition, spent my entire career since then in nonprofits or in government, whether state, federal or local. And the Aspen Institute really offered an amazing opportunity for me because it's such a unique institution existing to ignite human potential to create possibilities for a better world. 
And Aspen was founded in 1949 out of the experience of the Second World War and started with this fundamental idea to drive change through dialogue, leadership, and action to help solve the most important challenges facing the United States and and really the world. And so for almost 75 years, Aspen has been investing in individuals, whether it's through sort of seminars and reading classic literature and engaging in these discussions about it in the context of their lives, which is what happens in fellowship. But also, you know, Aspen's just great at convening and bringing people together across political spectrums, you know, across different schools of thought to really dive in and think deeply about how we make progress and move forward. My role in particular is with uh, the Health Innovators Fellowship. And so this is really a fellowship that is domestically focused. And our core mission is to bring humanity back into healthcare by breaking down the silos and barriers that exist. We do that by creating a network of leaders poised to make a direct impact in people's lives. And so the fellowship is available to folks 35 to 50 years old who are at what we call an inflection point in their lives. And that's really folks that are sort of thinking a little bit bigger and thinking about the opportunity to help them identify what their contribution is going to be to society. And then we use that age criteria to sort of loosely get at folks mid-career while there's still significant time for them to make that impact and increase the impact they have in the world. The fellowship itself is a two-year program, and so during those two years, there's four weeks where folks come together. We have about 20 folks in a class, and they come together for these week-long seminars, and they're away from family, they're away from work, and they're in this big free space so they can think differently and engage in big ideas, and they can engage with nature, they can engage with their colleagues in the program, But, you know, finding space for new ideas also means sometimes old notions have to be dislodged, right? And so we sort of create space for that. And then the other requirement of the fellowship is that each fellow commits to a venture, which is an externally facing passion project. And we really just encourage them to go for broke and try that one crazy idea they've never been able to stop thinking about We have fellows doing a variety of things. Uh, You happen to have met one of our fellows who gave up a 20 plus year career as a healthcare executive to start a nonprofit serving farm workers in California's Central Valley for her venture. And so the real intention is that by making this investment that Aspen is choosing to make in these healthcare leaders and bringing them together with others across all of healthcare, which is just so siloed and organizations are run as fiefdoms, that good things can happen. And we've we've seen that. People take bigger bets in their own professional journey than they might have otherwise. We've got a group of fellows coming together tackling adolescent mental health through a pilot project in Mississippi. Others thinking about how they can collectively impact health equity. It's a really impressive group of folks that have been in and continue to be in this fellowship, and the possibilities are really endless. Well, I certainly enjoyed meeting some of these fellows um, at the event that you uh, held out here on the West Coast. So I would imagine that for many of these individuals, you know, they're in the silos of their discipline within a healthcare system, but your fellowship actually had individuals participating that were outside of the healthcare providers. Maybe you could just elaborate a little bit more on that, because weren't they from venture capital and uh, banks and academia? It was quite an array of uh, background of experiences. 
Well, I'm so glad that you appreciated that. And I'm so glad to talk about it because I think it's one of the things that makes us really unique in the sort of healthcare fellowship space. We really try very hard to recruit healthcare fellows from all across the industry. And healthcare is just so complex and there's so many sectors within it. So that's, to your point, venture capital, academic medicine, clinical research, biotech, community-based organizations. One of our fellows in the current class is a fire chief because he oversees emergency medical services and they're doing a lot of ER diversion. So we really do try and bring folks together from all across the healthcare sector. Um, and that is very intentional because healthcare is just so large and so complex and expensive. We've got to find better ways to reach across political divides, ideological disagreements, and narrow sector-based perspectives. Aspen's just perfectly situated as an organization devoted to challenging leaders to refine their values, to really bring folks into this space. And then the other thing that's surprising about this fellowship is that it's a lot more emotional um, and in sort of heart space than folks may anticipate when they're coming into the program. So that group of 20 people have a really profound emotional connection that is made. And therefore, the strength of the connection between the fellows is really quite lasting as a result. And then we multiply that out, right? We're on our sixth class. So we have 121 people who are part of this growing network of individuals who believe we need to do better and we need to be grounded in values while we make those decisions. And we need to have people around us that we can test our ideas with and think about things as we as we create the new world that we want to see. You talked about when you were young, your volunteer experience exposed you to a balkanized healthcare system that was large and complex and impersonal. And, and frankly, it sounded like it was very cold, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're working with the fellows to to engender greater coordination and interaction across disciplines. Are there some examples or, or stories that you can share with us on their journey through this fellowship program? Sure, that's a great question. So I think one of the big areas where we've seen cross-collaboration, which we're super excited about, is someone who has a mental health tech-enabled therapy service someone who has an IT platform that engages folks during their healthcare experience and a community-based organization led by one of our fellows that provides youth and adolescent healthcare in Mississippi. And then this like fantastic physician who's sort of helping them stay organized and work on this project. And the four of them came together. Three of them started at one of our seminars in 2022 in Vermont got galvanized around this idea. There was a big front section ad in the New York Times about the crisis in adolescent mental health. And folks just got energized and started really thinking collaboratively, how can we bring the forces of all of our organizations to bear to try and solve this problem? And with the community-based organization based in Mississippi, they said, let's make a big bet in Mississippi. And so what they've begun to pilot and are continuing to roll out and now hoping to expand beyond Mississippi is really, you know, using these different platforms, finding a way to take young people through what's called a hope scale to identify who is feeling hopeful and who is feeling less hopeful and to really triage young people into different categories and then direct them to appropriate services, whether that's an online CBT platform or therapy or more immediate services as they need. And so that's 
that's really, you know, our, our current example of what it might look like to collaborate between sort of disciplines. And while a number of these folks were looking at mental health, they were looking at it from different directions. And so that's really one of the ways um, that we think about that. Another person that I'm really excited by the work he's doing is a, is a gentleman named Carter Dredge, who is in our fellowship. And he's really rethinking financing mechanisms for innovation in healthcare. How can large healthcare systems find stability in their supply chain without going through profiteers? So he's making this argument that healthcare is important enough to think about it as a utility. And so this work involves bringing together large healthcare systems to collaborate at a, at a big scale and to sort of find some more reliability in the healthcare system through investing in new innovation. And, and that kind of work makes me really hopeful and excited about what we can see coming out of this fellowship and hopefully how we can turn the corner on healthcare in this country. Wow, those are great examples. So, Tanya, you've had a, an opportunity with all these fellows to observe not only their journey, their passion project, but also the substance of what they're working on probably gave you some insights on skill sets that are needed to deal with the healthcare situation within the country, but also globally. I'm wondering if if you have some insights into skills that may be more valued in the future if someone's going into the field of care. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm so mindful of all the fantastic work you're doing at Futuro Health. You know, I think we've been talking for years, right, about a caretaking crisis in this country. And as we have more baby boomers aging, there are uh, so many people that are so important to healthcare that aren't physicians, aren't nurses or PAs. Um, and that's really the caretakers. I, I just can't emphasize enough as more and more people age and, and folks always would prefer to be at home rather than in an institution. That means we have to have visiting nurses. We have to have healthcare assistants and aides. You know, we have to have nurses, period. And of course, we're having a terrifically horrible nursing crisis in this country with the number of people leaving the profession. Um, but also just, you know, there's some things when I think about incentives and, and incentives that are so skewed in our system, you know, primary care as a whole is just not well invested in. Um, it is not as lucrative as other specialties in medical training and geriatrics. Sometimes I am deeply concerned that we don't match compensation and prestige with our values and what we care most about. And we should be treating people appropriately with a living wage and with benefits. These jobs are just too hard and too important to think of the people doing them as independent contractors rather than them being really a part of the community in full. And if you had a cousin or a niece or a nephew approach you about entering the healthcare field, what, what advice would you have for them, Tanya? You know, I, I have an enduring fondness for so many parts of the medical profession. It's sort of hard to say. I think nurses are amazing and can do so many different things. I think that degree gives someone true flexibility to look into many sectors of healthcare. There's just so many different ways that a nursing degree can be helpful um, I also have an enduring fondness for pharmacists who I think just do amazing, amazing work and can be much more engaged than just sort of behind the counter at our local drugstore filling prescriptions. I would really advise someone to really think long and hard about the different ways to get to what they want to do. So what is the impact that someone wants to have? You know, And I don't think that it's 
reasonable at this point to assume that the only path to impacting people's lives is to spend the exorbitant amount of money it costs to become a doctor in this country. There's just so many other ways to impact healthcare and to be engaged. So I would encourage any young person to really think about what what the end result is, really where they want to go, and then explore the many, many different ways there are to get there. Well, you're an exemplar of someone who's taken a non-traditional route into healthcare and continue to have impact on healthcare. That's true. And so after a couple of years working as a case manager in New York City, I tried to figure out what to do. I started a social work degree and then it didn't feel right. It didn't feel like my community when I was in that degree. So I left it after one semester part-time. And then I actually had a boss who said to me, I've heard about this public health degree. I don't really know a lot about it. It looks like it might be of interest. And so I started exploring a public health degree and that's ultimately what I pursued was a master's in public health uh, at Columbia University with a focus on health policy and management because I knew that I really wanted to work around the Medicaid program and I wanted to have a deep understanding of how it worked before I sort of took that forward. But yes, I would have never predicted. I've, that's my favorite thing about career paths is how they can be so circuitous and they sort of land us where they should, right? But we can't predict how we got there. But I really did just follow my heart at that point around the issues that were really uh, piercing my heart as I was seeing them play out in the people I was working with. Well, on this topic of public health, let me just do a plug here. Um Futuro Health is working on a federal grant with UC Berkeley, California State University, Long Beach, and many other uh, higher education institutions. And it's for a field called public health informatics, which is the data associated with delivering on public health. And that came about during the time of the pandemic when all the systems were realizing that much more needed to be done to activate the data for the use of, of care. So uh, again, these fields are just evolving, right, for all different types of folks and their preferences, right, in terms of skills. Yeah. And I mean, thank God for that. And I'm so grateful for your work in this area. You know, we all have the experience of filling out all of these questionnaires and surveys every time we go to a medical facility and what happens with them, right? So this notion that you know, folks could be going into that, not just as sort of data managers, but as really folks who are going to critically think about how can we use this information? Are we asking the right questions? Are we getting the right information back? How can we get this into a virtuous cycle so that we can feed information to the providers and have information fed back about someone's compliance and adherence? I, I mean, I think that's fantastic. I'm excited about that work. Oh, fantastic. Um, so you began your career working with communities of color, living with HIV at the height of the AIDS pandemic, as you mentioned. And I know another area of focus for the fellowship is health equity. I was wondering if you can elaborate a little bit on what's going on that makes a difference in this field of health equity related to the fellowship. It's a great question and an important question and one that I feel like, you know, it has been a very popular topic, but whether we're really getting to impact, I think is is what we're grappling with right now in the, in the healthcare field. I'm thrilled that it is engendering so much conversation. I'm just eager for action. And one of the places that I think we have started to see action just because the outcomes have been so staggeringly horrible has been around black maternal mortality. And so, you know, whether California, which has taken such initiative in this area or whether healthcare systems for a variety of reasons 
folks have started to really be much more thoughtful about things like standardizing practices to quantify how much blood loss there is after a birth and to ensure that a woman isn't hemorrhaging. You know, we're hearing a lot more about, to my earlier point about, there's so many ways to impact healthcare without being a nurse or a doctor. Doulas, right? Uh, Birth doulas are making a huge difference in Black women's outcomes when they are delivering. Doula is another great example of a profession that we could use so many more, particularly uh, people of color in the profession, to help provide that support for a Black woman to ensure that she has a good birth outcome. Do you sense, as you observe the fellows, that there's more momentum um, in the field of value-based care or preventive care? I do. I think that, you know, we're talking a lot more about value-based care. I think after probably the last decade of these, you know, sort of slow starts into the space, I think we are seeing um, more providers and more institutions being willing to take more risk. The hope is that value-based care gets to the prevention that you just mentioned, right? The hope is that once a provider or a health center or a hospital system has that sort of confirmation of the amount of payment that's going to be coming in, they can step back a little bit with each individual person and say, what's the best way I can impact this individual? Because it may not be a healthcare investment that's needed. It may be you know, abatement of lead paint. It may be an air conditioner for asthma. It may be, you know, a variety of things, food stability and access to healthy foods that are culturally appropriate. It can be many different things that ultimately lead to someone's health. And so I I am optimistic, although I don't know that we've seen as much progress as that we would have liked to have seen so far in value-based care. And then sort of prevention is this magical word. It's like an accordion, right? It can expand and mean many different things. And so you can expand healthcare out. The aperture is so wide, it really encompasses all that happens in someone's life. And so, you know, we've got to sort of figure out that balance and what issues we can impact and what are reasonable issues for healthcare providers to sort of stretch into in terms of impacting uh, patients and ultimately, hopefully, much better outcomes. So remind us, Tanya, as we begin to wrap up, how do you apply for the fellowship? Sure. So folks can go to the aspeninstitute.org to our website, and uh, there's a search function within that, and folks can look up the Health Innovators Fellowship and find their way to our web pages on the site. There is a place to express interest, and I can send you that link, but folks can sort of identify that they're interested and therefore be on our mailing list to hear. We try to open up for nominations every year. Um, We are right now hoping to identify additional funders so that we can open up uh, in 2024 for our seventh class. And so for now, we're really recruiting partners and allies and investors who really want to be part of this kind of work going forward. And so certainly folks can reach out through the website or reach out to me. Um, I'm happy to be engaged and to talk to folks about the program. Well, we've learned a great deal about the fellowship program, and we've learned a lot about your values. Is there anything else you'd like our audience to hear or learn? Thank you for asking. I really am interested in, through the fellowship, having these opportunities to test and think about where we might find new areas of innovation. Because I worry sometimes in healthcare, we're not asking 
all of the right questions. And so the questions I really care about are, you know, individual ones. Are you having enough impact? Are you looking at issues holistically? How do we break orthodoxy and create more innovation in healthcare? For me, one of my questions is, you know, why does everyone I know have a healthcare horror story? Many of us also have a success story, but too many people I know have been harmed either physically or emotionally by the healthcare system. And we spend a fifth of our economy on it. So our incentives are not, they're misaligned. And we really need to think about how we can align our incentives to get to the kind of outcomes we really care about in a healthier society. And so I'm really excited about the fellowship's potential to do just that. Well, you've given us great provocations as a way to end this podcast. Thank you very much, Tanya, for being with us today. Oh, thank you so much. It's been so fun. I really appreciate you having me. Absolutely. I'm Vontone Quinlevin with Futuro Health. Thanks for checking out this episode of Workforce Rx. I hope you will join us again as we continue to explore how to create a future-focused workforce in America. Mm-hmm.